It's the early 15th century. A hooded man wanders through the crowded markets of Aleppo, the strong scent of Arabic spices waft through the narrow streets. The man makes his way around a corner, politely turning down the request to look at the wares of one of the street sellers. Around the next corner, the street opens up to a large public square. A crowd has gathered and raised a wooden platform. On the platform is a large wooden board, and a defeated-looking man is stretched across it, his arms and legs stretched out and bound by cloth. Standing over him are two stern-looking mullahs, their pure white beards and turbans shining in the mid-morning sunlight. A burly-looking man stands in the corner of the platform. Next to him, a pair of red-hot steel tongs are resting in an urn full of charcoal. As the onlookers fan around the stage, jostling to get the best view, one of the mullahs addresses the man tied to the wooden board. For the distribution of heretical writings, you are sentenced to death by flaying. Do you deny these works are yours? The mullah waves a stack of leaflets in front of the prisoner's eyes, but he doesn't even stir. The crowd begins to whisper amongst themselves. Everyone watching knew the writings well. Many had the very same leaflets hanging in their homes. The mullah throws the stack of paper to the ground, and the wind catches one of the pages and it lands in front of the hooded man. He catches a glimpse at one of the lines. To see my face, you need an eye that can perceive true God. How can the eye that is short-sighted see the face of God? The hooded man recognizes the words instantly. He should. He wrote them. Without an ounce of apprehension, the man steps forward from the crowd, pulling his hood down. I am the author of the words, not this man. The punishment should befall me, not him. This is the story of Imadim Nasimi, martyr of the Harufi. In the late 15th century, the Caucasus, today made up of Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia and parts of Russia, were a mesh of autonomous petty kingdoms. All these kingdoms shared the same problem. They were on a collision course between two empires, the Ottomans in the east and the Timurids in the west. One of these petty kingdoms was known as Shirvan and today is located in eastern Azerbaijan. It's in the town of Shirvan where today's story starts. We don't have too much info about Nasimi's early life. Even the name Nasimi is just a pen name, a name used by authors to make themselves more distinctive. It's likely that he was born in the town of Shamaki, which today is just a little west of the capital of Baku. His family supposedly could trace their bloodline back to the Prophet. We know this because he was at times referred to with the honorary title of Sayyid, usually reserved for those with holy blood. From a young age, he was said to be a talented poet, writing in Azerbaijani, Arabic, and Persian. Appearance-wise, we only have artists' impressions, but they draw a portrait of a thin man with a fair complexion, long nose, and high cheekbones. He was almost always usually also drawn with a neat, short black beard and a flat-topped, messy turban. We've got a picture on our website, or you can just look at the podcast picture. Growing up in the Caucasus, Nasimi would have been exposed to all number of religious doctrines and ideas. The position of the region, as well as the lax central government, made for good fertile grounds for new ideas to grow. At some point in his early life, he found a mentor, Al-Harufi, who had a profound effect on his life. Al-Harufi was the founder of an Islamic school of thought 
that differed from the practices of mainstream Shia Islam. This school of thought was known as Harufism. The Harufi movement likely started in Persia, but like other radical ideas, it was in the Caucasus where it really found success. I'm not an Islamic scholar, believe it or not, but I'll attempt to give a summary of it. Harufism was based on the idea that the key to understanding the Quran was linked to specific numbers, and those numbers were linked to elements within the universe. The number seven was particularly important. The human face has two nostrils, two ears, two eye sockets and a mouth, a total of seven orifices. The human head has four sets of eyelashes, two eyebrows and the hair found on top of your head. These were known as the seven maternal lines as they derive from Eve. On the flip side, we have hair growing on each side of the face, two sides of the moustache, hair growing out of each nostril, and the hair between the lower lip and the chin, or the so-called paternal lines as they derive from Adam. These reoccurring patterns and numbers tie into the Quran in various esoteric ways, and it was through perceived linkages like this the movement was based off. The Harufi sect wasn't the first or last to believe in hidden universal codes that would unlock the word of God, and neither would this phenomenon only be found in Islam. But something about these teachings awoke something in Nasimi, something that he would eventually be willing to die for. The takeaway from Harufism is that an element of God is present within every atom of every person, or summarized, God is within us. Al-Harufi made the claim that every person was a manifestation of God's force in the same way that Adam, Moses, or Muhammad were. As you can probably guess, this view was not shared by mainstream Islam. The notion that an ordinary person was equal to the Prophet was outright blasphemous and threatened to take power away from the Islamic elite. This could not be tolerated. Despite misgivings from the clergy, the movement was popular with the common folk. After all, who wouldn't love to be told that they're as important as the Prophet? Al-Harufi gained many followers, and his travels took him all through the Caucasus. He and his growing entourage travelled frequently through Shivan. Standing tall in the town square, he and his followers attracted large crowds speaking about the wonders of God, and insisting to the townsfolk that they were not only created in God's image, but with fragments of God himself. One day, as Nasimi went about his business, he stopped to listen to this enigmatic preacher. The message immediately struck a chord in the young man, and he was hooked. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? 
These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Since a young age, Nassimi had showed terrific prowess as a poet. He had the raw talent and now, invigorated by these teachings, he would help spread Harufism through his gift of poetry. Al-Harufi, too, knew a good thing when he saw it and recognized Nassimi's skill as a poet quickly. Soon, Nassimi was part of Al-Harufi's closest disciples. He began to become a crucial part of helping spread the movement. Nassimi's poetry revolved around themes that common people could relate to, The idea that the human body was the perfect blend of the spiritual and physical realm was a reoccurring theme. He dedicates many poems to specific features of the human face and the beauty and divinity that can be seen within the human form, particularly the female form. To the clergy at the time, Nassimi's poetry was unorthodox at best and heretical at worst, but to the receptive ears of Al-Harufi's followers, they loved it. Have a listen to some of these and imagine how thoughts like this could threaten the stability of the religious order. As a reminder, these are translations and would have obviously sounded different in Azerbaijani or Persian. Do you not say that God is everywhere? Why do you distinguish then between the tavern and the mosque? Nasimi is saying here that love of God is found within oneself and that earthly buildings are irrelevant to a true believer. Another, O heart, reject vain promises, let us spend this moment in pleasure. Yesterday is gone, tomorrow is unknown, and so this moment is pleasure. And here he says that time on earth should be enjoyed, not spent waiting for the paradise that's promised in the Quran. In between reoccurring themes around love and worship, he peppers these out with occasional outbursts of anger at the world. Like a rotting corpse the world is, who would have it is a cur. Be not such a scavenger and carrion, do not desire. Nasimi's poetry was unique in a number of ways, but perhaps the most unique part you wouldn't have noticed. The most unique part is that many, many of his works were written in an obscure dialect that came to be known as Azerbaijani. Azerbaijani was based on a Turkish language, and at this point it was virtually unheard of for Islamic poetry to be written in anything except Persian. While Nasimi was fluent in both Persian and Azerbaijani, Azerbaijani was his native tongue. Due to the sheer popularity of his poetry, many others began to learn to read or write in this new script, either in hope of replicating Nasimi's style, or for greater access to all of his other works that they currently couldn't read. Nasimi's poetry became instrumental for spreading the message of Harufism. Al-Harufi would preach in the towns, planting the seeds of belief, and Nasimi's poetry would be the legacy left behind the town once Al-Harufi had moved on. Through this, his teachings were spread far and wide. For the poor and downtrodden, hearing that they were partially divine was an enticing concept, and eventually the message reached the ears of the great conqueror and mighty Islamic warlord Timur, or Tamerlane. Timur was not impressed. 
Either the message of Harufism didn't appeal to him, or more likely he preferred to maintain the stability of the provinces he had recently conquered. New ideas could incite rebellion, and rebellion was expensive to put down. Whatever the reason, Timur quickly declared Harufism heretical and ordered that al-Harufi was to be put to death. It's unlikely that Nasimi and Harufi were together once he was captured. It seemed like eventually the two parted ways and promoted the movement in their own special way. With Timur's men hot on his trail, al-Harufi is captured and killed. It's not recorded how, but skinning seems likely, considering the charge of heresy. In the 1973 Azerbaijani film Nasimi, Nasimi is depicted as standing by idly, while al-Harufi is pulled apart by horses. But in reality, nothing suggests the two were even in the same city at this time. Nasimi's fears of being unguided without his mentor are made clear in the poems he penned once he learnt about his mentor's death. My sores I healed when I perceived your presence, O Fazlala. I sorely miss you now. Of other ways of healing, what need have I? Even after the death of its founder, interest in Harufism endured, and he continued to pen more poems under his alias, Nasimi. The alias became so well known that the man's original name have now been lost to history. The authorities worked hard to keep a lid on Nasimi's poetry, but the underground replication of his works continued. As the heat became too much to bear, Nasimi finally decided to leave his homeland and move to Aleppo, Syria, never to return again. Just like in the Balkans, his poetry found an audience, but Aleppo had a stronger centralised government and followed a more orthodox interpretation of Islam. As quickly as Nasimi arrived, he was on the governor's hit list once again and forced to live under another alias. According to legend, as Nasimi strolled through Aleppo, he heard of a man who was about to be executed for heretical poetry. Already aware that it was his poetry, he followed the crowd to the spot. The man was due to be skinned alive, specifically for writing the line, To see my face, you need an eye that can perceive true God. How can the eye that is short-sighted see the face of God? The man did not deny writing the lines. It's possible he was made to confess prior to the public spectacle. Nasimi knew the words were his and without a second thought, stepped forward to interrupt the execution, calmly explaining that the words were his, and so the punishment should be too. The crowd was dumbstruck, the shocked prisoner was released, and Nasimi took his place. The guards stripped him down to his underwear and bound him to the long wooden board the prisoner was previously attached to. Starting from his ankles, two men slowly peeled his skin from his body using hot metal tongs. As his skin hung from bones like peeling tree bark, Nasimi did not make a sound. In fact, when the executioners began to make their way up his body towards his ribs, Nasimi began reciting his poetry but changed up some of the verses, mocking the men who were skinning him. The crowd didn't know how to react to the bizarre spectacle. Some laughed, others cried, but all were impressed with the resolution shown by Nasimi. According to some legends, as he did not die despite the torture, he was released and casually threw his flayed skin over his shoulder and walked away from the execution, the crowd parting as he moved through them. This iconic scene has been recreated in painting several times over the years. We've actually got a few of the artist's impressions on our website. With the death of its founder, and now its most well-known poet, 
Harufism went underground. The idea of internal divineness fell from popular memory for the time being. The Harufi movement would survive in small pockets across the Caucasus, but its time in the limelight was largely over. Despite this, many core ideas of the movement would go on to influence other forms of Islamic mysticism. The most well-known of these is the Bektashi order, which still exists today in modern Albania. Far from the persecution he endured during his life, Nasimi's unique style of poetry is now celebrated all across the Islamic world. While he is not a household name like Rumi, Nasimi's poetry, which once carried a death sentence for anyone caught with it, is now available in many, many different languages. Apart from Azerbaijan, Nasimi enjoys a significant amount of fame in Turkey, and in 2019, on his 650th anniversary, his portrait was printed on the two and a half lira coin. Nasimi brought prestige to Azerbaijan, not through the bluntness of war, but through the subtleness of poetry. From his death to the present day, the Azerbaijani language, like its people, would face pressure to abandon the use of the language and adopt that of its overlord. In 1875, the first Azerbaijani newspaper began publication within the Russian Empire. With the fall of the USSR in 1991, Azerbaijani became the official language of the new country. Without Nasimi's influence, would the language have been widespread enough to survive? I'll take us out today with an extract of one of my favourite Nasimi poems around personal improvement and introspection. Since ailments congregate upon a body that is lame, aim to be perfect, for perfection is not prone to flaw. Do not succumb to sorrow for the world that we despise, for no one in the world has found a balm to heal this sore. Renounce all greed and envy, far remove yourself from these, for saved shall be the soul with which from such infamy withdraws. A huge thank you to the show's Patreon supporters, Claudia, Tom, Malcolm, and Roll. A lot of people don't realize this, but this is a one-man show, so there's a big chunk of time that goes into research, writing, editing, and all that. I love sharing these stories, and it means a lot knowing you guys are enjoying them. Your contributions help me keep the lights on, sound libraries, web hosting, books, and all that. If you're not a patron already, we've got some really cool rewards, like having the option to read out some of the quotes we use in our episodes. If you want to go have a look, tap the link in our bio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the presidencies of the United States, we explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine podcasts can be found, 
and is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.